0: Welcome to a brand new episode of Magical Match, a place to hear about real people with real stories around the important topic of stem cell donation and transplants. In each episode, I'll be chatting with donors, recipients, those in supportive roles, and people who have been affected by either a personal experience or through another's inspirational story. It is my hope that by opening the conversation around stem cell donation, we can inspire more people to sign up to the Stem Cell Register, offering more hope to those in need. In this episode, I spoke with Pete McLeave, who was diagnosed with myeloma some six years ago. We chatted about his campaigns, 10,000 donors, and God for Good. We talked about diversity and how cancer can impact the entire family, not just the patient. We also touched on the power that we all have within us to affect change. It was a really interesting conversation. I hope you enjoy the episode. Pete McCleave, welcome to Magical Match.
1: Thank you very much. Appreciate the invite.
0: So we're going to get straight into it. Pete, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to set up 10,000 donors. What's the story behind that?
1: Yeah, my story kicked off six years ago when uh, at the age 30, I always forget, 39, I think it was, 38 or 39. Life was pretty standard, work, kids. I was doing a lot of sports stuff. I was racing triathlon, so I mm. was as healthy as I thought I'd ever been. And then having finished a race in Wales in 2016, I ended up in uh, two days after finishing the race. I ended up in hospital in Chester with a bit of a a messy concoction of pneumonia, sepsis and legionnaires, which was wholly unexpected. But oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. A bit bit messy. But um, yeah, four days in, in the hospital, lots of drugs, lots of care, managed to get it under control. And they discharged me and I started planning my my races for 2017.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't in recovering in the way in which the doctors were hoping, specifically around my lungs. There, there was a bit of scarring. What they thought was scarring on my lungs was really sort of labored with breathing. And so they sent me for a CT scan. And this is where, in a very, very strange way, um, I, I feel that my, my situation was I had, I had carried a sort of modicum of luck because had I have not ended up in hospital, I wouldn't have been monitored by the doctors and they wouldn't have sent me for that CT scan. Mm. And when it came back, they had these they'd noticed these pock marks all over on my skeleton. So uh, they focused on my chest, but you could see these. But it looked like Swiss cheese, basically. Ribs, and then when they did a full-body CT scan, skull, arms, legs, anywhere there was a bone, it looked like it was deteriorating, like an osteoporosis. Right. Which at the age of 39, you would not expect? No. And they sent me for some further tests, blood tests, and that's where a diagnosis of myeloma came in, which is a blood cancer. And unfortunately, it was an incurable blood cancer. Uh, quite aggressive at the time, so they put me straight into chemotherapy, which didn't really work. The first, the first few cycles, for some reason, whatever I've got is it becomes resistant, or it already is resistant to the treatment straight away. Right. So it was just you know escalation after escalation of chemo, and then they found um, the third, I think at the third time, basically they found some chemo which seemed to get it under control, and then they chucked me into the Christie for an autologous stem cell transplant. Can you explain what that is? I can, yeah, I can. So I, you know what, you, <laughs> yeah. I end up chucking this medical jargon as if I'm some kind of, and I forget I most people well don't know it. You get yeah. used to
0: the names and the the jargon and everything when you're when you're in it, don't you? And then, but I'm I'm only asking because I know there'll be people that are listening going, which yeah. one is that? Which type of stem cell transplant is that? So can you explain?
1: I can, I can. Nautologous stem cell transplant is where they take your stem cells and clean them up. And then after zapping you with a, a sizable chunk of something called melphalan, which basically kills everything, leaves just a bit of a shell, they then re-inject your stem cells back into you to then grow. They will obviously be compromised because you've already got cancer cells in there, but it's supposed to give you a, a period of time whereby you will hopefully be in remission or semi-remission, which is what I got. I never got a full remission. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that's, you know, after doing that in 2018... Um, I hit my semi-remission and, and found found the capacity to set up 10,000 donors. And that, that came about because ideally what I need is a is, is to find my genetic twin, uh, someone to donate me their stem cells. They can give you their healthy stem cells and get your blood cancer into a proper state of remission. Again, with myeloma, mm-hmm. you can't cure it, but that's the best that I've got of of extending the prognosis that I was given six years ago and at the time i was given seven years but i'm feeling great i don't see myself as only having a year left and there's been so many extensions you know so many progressions in the world of medicine um, i've got faith that at some point there will be drugs which really give this cancer a shooing and allow me to see way beyond the numbers that the doctors have thrown around so yeah in a nutshell that is that's why i accept 10,000 donors because although I, I need that stem cell donor match and there are so few people registered today on the stem cell donor registry, I felt that it would give me some kind of agency over my situation to influence what is a very fixable problem. Just too few people on the register and too little diversity on the register as well. And um, although I know I look white Caucasian, my, my family hail from Southeast Asia and, and that's what makes me finding that stem cell donor match, like for so many people of, of mixed heritage, it makes it a bit more difficult because when you've got so few people and so little diversity on the register, getting that match is extremely difficult. But not impossible, and that's, that's what I hang my hat on. It's more people, more diversity, we'll all have a match. Done.
0: And here ends the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I really admire your positivity, your sort of vibrant nature of like, right, you know, I'm in this situation. I need to take, it's like taking some sort of control and have have some agency, like you say, over what's actually happening. And I feel the same in the sense that if the messaging is right and if this conversation is happening in families, like every single family, as it, if it was a conversation that just happens at a, a young age where everybody understands and knows that a lovely thing to do is to get on the stem cell register, then if everybody's on there, then everybody has the equal chance. Of, of having a, a life-saving stem cell transplant. So I share that view very much, and that's why we're here today to, to, to talk about that. I'd read on myeloma.org.uk um, um, that there are 24,000 people living with myeloma in the UK at the moment. And can you explain why it's called, sometimes it's called multiple myeloma?
1: Yeah, I had to look this up, to be fair. When I, when they, they told me this is what I had, it's, it's be, I mean it's because it can manifest in lots of different places. So myeloma is, is, is your plasma cells, which are formed in your bone marrow and all the major big bones in your body create bone marrow. Mm-hmm. And so it means that it can, it's cited not like a lump or a bump, which some cancers are, it's just kind of everywhere. And so mm-hmm. it manifests in your leg bones. It manifests in your ribs because this is where stem cells are created. And this is where your, 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 your immune system, your white blood cells are created. And these plasma cells shouldn't be there. It's a genetic mutation. And multiple myeloma means multiple sites in the body. Just the body creates it, and they what, what tends to happen is they they proliferate to such a, a rate that the bones can't contain them. And this is what happened to me. This is why you could see that that Swiss cheese mm. CT scan yeah. that I had. It's because it was basically bursting, bursting kind of out of the bones and creating that compromise. And you know, at my lowest, I my back broke in three places, and because it
0: broke in three places.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was it was a really really strange time i've got only vague memories of it to be fair because it was about it was five and a half six years ago and yes it's
0: it's a fair few years ago and and did Mm. you feel you know you're talking about you know your high levels of fitness and that you're you know you're sporty. you're doing all sorts of quite you know high strength training and running and everything else did you get any sort of signs or symptoms was there anything did anything happen where you thought oh hang on a minute I don't feel too good or did it was it just there and it's it's already happening you
1: know yeah in hindsight yes i remember when i was running the race in wales i was really there were were parts of that race that i should have absolutely been flying through and the bike in particular i i just couldn't get my breath for the entire race and Mm. i was really there's a a video of me some friends of mine came to support me There's, there's a really steep hill before you get into saundersfoot in in wales and I was absolutely blowing. I just couldn't get the, the the breath to come through. And at the time, I just thought, I don't know, I just got something wrong with my race prep. But the reality was that was the pneumonia which was kicking in, and that's what yeah. was compromising the lungs. Now, all the other stuff that comes with blood cancer and diagnosis. And this is, I said I was lucky, and I was very lucky because a lot of times with with blood cancers, myeloma specifically, is that when when it's breaking down your bones, you get a surplus of calcium in your blood they block your kidneys, you get kidney failure. That, a lot of myeloma patients get to kidney failure stage before they get diagnosed because the the symptoms that come with it are really innocuous. You'd have to be a bit of a hypochondriac to to put the symptoms together and go, oh, I've got a blood cancer. And especially when I've I've never heard of myeloma, you know, when my doctor told me I've got myeloma, my my reaction to (laughs) him was, Do I need to get down to the gym? Is it more antibiotics? What do I have yeah. to do to fix this?
0: Antibiotics, yeah, because yeah. you know fixes no, 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 everything, no. doesn't it?
1: <laughs> well, yeah, yeah it, 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 does, it does. But with um, with this, you've got things like you know you you do get a lot more fatigued and tired and foggy headed. Mm. But I was training six days a week. I just thought I was tired. You get yes. aches and pains because your bones are compromised. Again, I just you know in a weird way it was a badge of honor for me because I just thought, oh yeah, I must have smashed training yesterday. I'm pushing myself. Yeah, 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 exactly. Now yeah, the one thing yeah. which the one thing which which does stand out is very, very different. And I would never I would never have people running around, you know, going to the doctor's because they they they, they worry about blood cancer. But I was getting night sweats quite severe. and I know it sounds unpleasant, but you've got to talk about the reality of the situation. I was yeah. getting night sweats. Yeah. And I've never had them in my entire life. And I was getting them on a regular basis. That that is a is a key sign and symptom. So you know, the fatigue, the tiredness, the aches and pains, the night sweats. These are all symptoms of blood cancer, but innocuous on their own. Yeah. Innocuous on their own. So, yes, there were signs and symptoms there in the lead up to, to running that race, but never did dawn on me it was anything as sinister as a blood cancer. And, mm. and I'm, I think that that's one of the problems that a lot of blood cancer patients, patients face is that you don't know until a doctor says, oh, yeah, we've done the blood test and this is what it is. And yeah. doctors won't naturally test for it anyway. You wouldn't naturally test for this sort No, of
0: No, no. I, I think... This is something where it gets a little bit tricky because you don't know until you know. Like you say, you're living your life. You're going out and racing. You know, you're straight into your sport, having a great time. You know, and when you when you are fit and healthy, the odd ache and pain and things like that, you you just put down to well I've just run a bit far today or I've you know I fell off my bike here or whatever it is you know you don't you don't always know and I can I can understand where you talk about the night sweats and things um I know in our own situation you know we thought there was something faulty with the the radiator with the heating at home we just put it down to that and kept turning the the thermostat down <laughs> you know but you as I say, yeah, you don't know until you know and and blood cancer is not always the first thing that you think of when you you know when you have these things happen. So I just wanted to, to touch on the fact that you've got 10,000donors.com here and your brother, is it your brother Tim, is out in Australia, yes. am I correct there? And he's he yep. set a similar setup. Is it still it's still 10,000 Donors? It's under that title.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the 10,000 Donors thing was, um, again, getting control of, of a situation, trying to create something which was ultimately bigger than one person. Yeah. So Tim, when we got the 10,000 Donors and and it was just it was a target Yeah. 10,000 was simply an initial target and I remember I remember having a chat with one of the um, I'm not going to name names with somebody at a well-known charity and I said I'm going to get Ten thousand people registered, and I was very politely told, nah, "We don't get that many in a year, anyway. You know, we're, you know as an organisation, we might get seventy thousand. So why don't you scale it back a bit and maybe just go for a thousand And that, that for me was just red rag to a like, bullet yeah. And it wasn't just through ego. I will say this: it wasn't well a little bit of ego. I hate being, t- <laughs> I hate being tough. I can't do anything anyway. But it was also when you looked at the scale of the problem, yeah. ten thousand was barely going to touch the sides anyway. Yeah. And you need millions of people. But it was mm-hmm. it was a start of the 10. And that, that's where that, that kicked off. And then with Tim being in Australia, um, he wanted to try and help and influence. And this was his way of doing it. So he set up 10,000donors.com.au, I think it was, yeah. which is the, the Aussie equivalent of, of what we do over here, which is fantastic. You know, it's, yeah. it's, um, it's been a, an interesting project to work on.
0: You've got over ten thousand donors, haven't you?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have. We um yeah, we smashed to a hundred thousand a couple of weeks ago. And we got our we got our twentieth match back into last week so
0: wow it's wow. working it's working And it's working it's that it's amazing and how you know obviously you're in your own situation and every every situation is unique but how does it feel when you know that there are matches being found for people
1: well it's great it sort of validates the project in a way it just goes to and it, and it just evidences to people that we we can influence this I and mean, the one the one thing I struggled with and I still struggle with is being told that I'm not well, that I have to mm. take chemotherapy every day, that I have to go to the doctors a lot, that I have to get stuck with needles, which after six years, you think I'm used to. I hate needles. So mm. I hate all this stuff that's been stripped away from me and imposed upon me. And and I hate the fact that my kids are growing up with this. There's um, there, there are so many different angles and frustrations that come with it. Yeah. But... When you see what the input is, is doing and it's not, it's, there are so many people who've given of their time. You know, the fact you've invited me on to talk to you today is just, you know, it's truly humbling that you get these opportunities. 10,000 donors was an idea. It was, it was nothing more than a, than a concept and you know, a logo that I sketched in bed one evening. And yet people like yourself have taken it and talked about it and used it and, and made it into something way better than I could ever have conceived of myself, which is just a lovely, lovely thing. And when you see the numbers, and you yeah. see that see the matches, you goes, Yeah, it's working. We need more. Yeah. So I, I'm yeah. just I just love watching, see where it goes and being given the the capacity to, I don't know, flex my own creative juices to a certain extent because this is not my world. I'm not a marketeer, I'm not a campaigner, I'm not a public speaker, and yet all of a sudden and marketeering and campaigning and public speaking. <laughs> so it's it just
0: sometimes you're you're put in these situations and you know you like you say the reason why we're here, the reason why I'm talking to you, and the reason why our paths have crossed is all because of cancer. But mm. you've inspired people like myself to keep pushing for these sorts of positive outcomes and things like that. You know, you're an inspiration. You're in, it's certainly an inspiration to me, and I know that can sometimes feel uncomfortable, but it is a fact. Well, thank you. So I'm very grateful that you're here and we're, we're discussing this. So, you know, you've done 10,000 donors, but you're also doing Gob for Good, mm. which I wanted to ask you to chat about.
1: Yeah. So the, so the Gob for Good campaign was, we've done a bunch of stuff, like the 10,000 donors thing since since it kicked off. So we've done the Crumble Rally, which was amazing fun, as well as delivering a lot of good stuff. And um, that was fun. We, we've had a song in the charts. I'm not a singer. Well, when I'm karaoke, I think I'm a brilliant singer. But video evidence <laughs> always shows the contrary. But again, we've got a song in the charts. I didn't sing it, but it was a really good song. When when would I ever have conceived of, you know, getting the opportunity to work with a, a musician who got us a song in the charts? It's amazing. And again, we got, you know, so we've got yeah. some brilliant media coverage. But the God for Good stuff, a lot a lot of what we've done has been a bit flash in the pan whereby, you know, you do something really cool. I think I think they're pretty cool things we've done. But you get a spike of interest and then it ebbs away because everyone's busy. Everyone's got a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. And there's also a gazillion really, really, worthwhile causes to get behind. So you can't constantly be in people's faces about this. And that's why I think you said something about communication early in the conversation. Mm. And it kind of this is what it's all about. It's finding creative ways of engaging with people, communicating with people. And you know, you've got this podcast that you're doing it with and you know it could be song, it could be a picture, it could be a campaign. It's finding ways to try and bridge the, the gap with new people. And what I you know we've got, you know, my social media stuff is not the best. It needs to be better. But the point is, when you've got people engaging with it, they know the story, you know, you're echo chambering. And, you know, the real challenge for this is it's not about driving cars or writing songs. It's just finding ways to communicate with new groups of people. And God yeah. for Good was designed not to be flash in the pan. We, we designed this project to be over a sustained 12 month period. So we're going to be constantly talking and trying to get in people's consciousness. And. Gob for Good, uh, we've been working with some professionals <laughs> a, a design agency in Leeds called Woven. And, um, and and this has all come about through that particular engagement, which is fantastic because they make it look professional rather than <laughs> me spitting sort and stinging things all the time. And um, it's about swabbing. So using your Gob for Good. Yeah, It's a bit marmite in that some people like gob for good. Some people don't like gob for good. A lot of my mates in London don't like the word gob, whereas all my northern mates think it's great. So, you know, make of that what you will.
0: If, if it works, it works. It's just it's a fact, isn't it? It's your gob. Yeah, yeah, so exactly. Do something good with it.
1: Yeah, it's supposed to stimulate a reaction. And that's the point. Yeah. And um, we've had some brilliant celebrity engagement so far. And we continue to get more, which is great. And we've we've built this programme of, of releases, if you want, you know, social and traditional media we had you know itv covering the work we did with cheshire phoenix basketball and chester rugby club this week just gone that was great we've got Sale sharks on board we're hoping to get some more sports teams on board as well but it's supposed to be over a 12-month period a campaign branded marketed campaign to to raise awareness and it's and again it's 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 really doing some good stuff at the moment despite my best efforts to stuff it up on social media <laughs> people are engaging which is fantastic and it's the thread here, what we didn't want to do is a lot a lot of a lot of the conversation I have around swabbing is getting as many people as possible to register. And we still want that. You know, two mm-hmm. percent of the UK population being registered is pitiful. And we need to change that. It is
0: pitiful. Yeah.
1: But there's a, there's another conversation which flows through the God for good campaign, and that's around the health inequality and access to stem cell registration. And actually it's an inequality which sits alongside organ and blood and plasma donations in the if you are a couple of generations white European, then your chances of finding your blood, your stem cell, your organ match are significantly better than those of your non-white counterparts, whether that's um, black, mixed race, Asian, um, any minority ethnic heritage. So we encourage people from all walks of life to register, because you don't know what, what your heritage really is. I mean, certainly I know I don't look like I hail from Southeast Asia, my, my, the rest of my family do. <laughs> when you yeah. see pictures of my family, they all do. But um, I've got the, um, the Northeastern Geordie jeans, which I'm very proud. Um, but, you know, it, it just comes down to that lack of access. And again, that's what I struggle with you know, fighting my stem cell down a match. And God for good really is trying to, trying to raise awareness in all communities who are underrepresented yeah. on, on the register. And, and just trying to get people to engage and understand that cancer doesn't care. It doesn't. Doesn't care what you look like. Where you're from, what your bank balance is, whether you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth or a wooden one, doesn't matter, doesn't care. And so whether you are red, blue, left, right, you know, for one moment in time, and I say this over and over again to people, for one moment in time, let's park our differences and understand that we are all more alike than not. Each and every one of us has our genetic twin out there somewhere. And so for one moment in time, let's just work together let's fix this it's fixable this doesn't need to happen this conversation doesn't need to take place once 90% of the world are on that stem cell donor register and it's a simple case of Mr. McLeave or Mrs. So-and-so yeah you've got blood cancer but we've got your stem cell donor match on the register they are line up to donate to you you'll be in next week that's how it should work Yeah. rather than the conversation yeah. like so many people I had where they said dangle that carrot of hope Oh, well, yeah we'll get you a stem cell donor match Ah. but your match isn't on there so you've got that potential to have your life saved and then it's wrenched away so god for good is all about getting rid of that conversation and we're backing we're backing three charities we're backing dkms who register people today to be stem cell donors we're backing the african caribbean leukaemia trust who've been working for 25 years to open up this conversation with all minority ethnic communities specifically Mm. so between them those two pair up and they're helping the patients of today by registering more people we're also working with the University of Newcastle upon Tyne, because what they want to do is mobilise a project which will literally torpedo this conversation about health inequality out of the water. They need £50,000 to mobilise the first year of a project, and then we'll raise more money for them as they need it. But what they want to do is understand the genetic underlier of blood cancer, myeloma specifically. And if they can do that, and they can work out what's going on at the genetic level, well, all bets are off. Yeah. Potential new treatments. Maybe... We're sitting there and they say, yeah, we've got a cure for that. I mean, that, that for me is the holy grail, because especially when you haven't got your stem cell donor match, the help has to come from somewhere else. Yeah. And no one else is doing this for us. No one else is yeah. doing it. Um, we have to do it. And that's what underpins God for good. We, all of us who are you know, listening to this, can influence this. You can influence mm. it by registering. You can influence it by telling everyone you know. To go and register and share the hell out of this on the socials because we have to, back to what we said before, it's all about communication and, and growing, organically growing awareness. And, you know, I, we can't do this alone. It has to be through the, the influence of people and every single person out there has the, the potential to influence the odds within this conversation, whether they register or just talk about it and share it. And that, that's, that's the hard thing about this, this campaign in Malarkey. It's encouraging in the nicest possible way everyone to recognize the power they have today. Everyone's got influence and agency mm. to do something. But, but it's not just to recognize it, it's to, to get them to act. That's, yeah. that's the hard bit.
0: Yeah, it is the hard bit. I've been at a donor drive before and I was chatting about our own experience and I was, you know, just talking to to people in this particular, you know, in the business environment and asking people to come in and, hey, you know, just do your cheeks. It won't take long. And, uh, and I had a couple of people where they, because they don't know what it's about. And if you're just pulling people in and saying, hey, do this, and then you can save somebody's life and they don't understand the, the sort of context of it. I had a few people just going, oh, I don't know whether I, I don't know whether I want to do that. And you're like, well, hang on a minute, if you're you know, maybe you're on the organ register and you're willing to, to do that when you're not here. How about the fact that you've got stem cells in your body at the moment that, you know, somebody, Joe blogs on your right-hand side, might need those stem cells. And it only takes, you know, maybe four hours of your time to go ahead and donate those and make all the difference to that one person. Yeah. And that's it, that's it isn't it? It's just, it's the conversation that, you know, when I was speaking to, a, I've spoken to Anthony Nolan, I've spoken to DKMS, and it's all about the altruism and the the decision-making process to go and sign up to the Stem Cell Register. I remember having a conversation where it's just like, well, I feel actually that it would be nice if you were already on it at some stage and it was just a, an opt-out process or if you were you know, too unwell yourself, or if there was some particular, and I know there are some situations where people can't sign up to the stem cell register, but it doesn't stop the conversation with other members of your family, friends, colleagues, somebody in the supermarket, you know, talk about it, wear a t-shirt that says, have you signed up to the stem cell register yet? Could you go and do it please this afternoon?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, I mean, I've, I've sort of gone through so many changes of mind and opinion and feelings on this whole thing. Certainly when I started kicking this off, I was quite, Ah, militant's the wrong word but I was quite direct about my aspirations with everybody and I realized I was being a bit unfair with people because I mean although I might believe wholeheartedly in something it doesn't mean everyone else has to and then it's it's incumbent upon me to have the conversation in a different way and I've certainly become mm-hmm. better at you know reading you know reading the room and just making sure that you know, I don't bully and strong on anybody into, into, into doing this sort of stuff. I understand everyone has the, the right to make a decision. No. I guess where I'm at now is that I'd rather people make an educated decision if they say yes or no. Mm. I'm reasonably chill about the whole thing. But as long as it's from a place of education, I think if you just say, no, no, I'm not doing that with no understanding as to why,
0: Yeah,
1: that, well, that's a failing on my part because I've not explained myself properly. I've not communicated in the right way. Mm. Um, but if someone says, it's definitely not for me, that's that's okay. That's genuinely yeah. okay, as long as as long as they you know can do it from you know understanding what we're actually talking about.
0: Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm.
1: you know, it's 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 a really really challenging topic to to, to try and engage with. Certainly there's a lot of misunderstandings around. Oh yeah, drills and spines and oh aliens <laughs> going into your brain. It's like no, no, not no. It's not like that. Um, no. no. Uh, and, but but again, it's 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 so strange. You got this myth of, of how you donate proliferates across generations. Yeah. I mean, there are people who still think it's drills in spines from false information from 40 years ago. And so, hold on a second, you're 20 years old. How can you even think about that sort of stuff?
0: Yeah. But yeah.
1: that's a failing on the part of a lot of people, myself included, for not getting the message out there properly. And, um, you know, that underpins a lot of the God for good stuff. It's about myths, myth busting and communicating yeah. in the right way.
0: Yeah I remember seeing the Anthony Nolan adverts when I was younger and I was probably about seven or eight then and thinking oh no I'm not gonna have that thank you very much that's Mm. that goes into your spine Mm. that's what I thought I thought oh no that sounds terrible and then you realize that's not the case anyway but but again I I didn't sign up until my son was poorly but then I think to myself oh my god all those years that I wasn't signed up and I wasn't on the stem cell register. I think there's one in maybe one in 800, one in 900 chance I think of actually donating mm. in your life if you're on the register, but you need to be on the register to be able to yeah. you know, give that opportunity to somebody.
1: Yeah, that's right. Well, funnily enough, when I was first diagnosed, my doctor said, right, we're gonna, he said to me, you should be okay because you're white. And I remember looking at Jen thinking- We had the same. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. quite the statement. Yes, it is. Uh, anyway. Two days after that conversation, I get a phone call from the people who manage this sort of stuff. Again, I'm not, not name dropping. And um, I said, ah, oh, Mr. McLeave, so we've got um, we've got a match. You're a match. It's like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Didn't expect that. And so the conversation was flowing. It, they were talking to me as if somehow I was donating to someone. I was like, mm, something going on here. Anyway, I said, will you do me a favor? Can you please check the name of the patient you're matching with? He said, oh, we can't do that. No, no, we, we can't tell you that. I said, no, I don't want to know. But I just appreciate you checking the name of the person who who is the match. Anyway, phone goes silent. And there's a very, very apologetic, I'm really sorry. And what they've done is they've matched me with my 18 year old self because I've I've registered at university (laughs) and they matched me with me. So on the one hand, I was very pleased my genetics hadn't changed. On the other hand, I'm thinking a bit of a bureaucratic cock up there because I wasn't expecting to get that match. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i felt i did i felt so sorry for this guy on the end of the phone oh,
0: oh my it's goodness like, me well it's the yeah. enthusiasm isn't it you can imagine somebody going oh my god we've done it we've done it right quick you yeah. know but you know read yeah. read it through properly and yeah. it's good that you've got a good sense of humor about it because I, I don't know whether i'd find it quite so <laughs> quite hmm. so amusing but yeah
1: well do you know what i mean as, as i say i'm not um you you'll view this whole conversation from um i guess a very different lens to me having been through this yourselves as a family mm. and um, I just wonder sometimes I think it's it's harder on those people who are supporting a patient than even the patient mm. I mean as much as my is yeah. wrenched away you know you are there watching again I'm not going to put words in your mouth but I know from my family's perspective my parents perspective in particular mm. seeing me go through this and having no nothing they can do um, it must be. It must be an awful situation to be in. At least I can, you know, find a way to to deal with this. But um, yeah,
0: I think like like you say, it's it's like it's a personal journey. But I even mm. hearing you, I'm I'm a very sort of empathetic person, and I I can feel the need for change and to make this happen. And you know, all I'm thinking is, what can I do? What can I do? In, in my head, it's just ideas whirring round. Yeah. There's lots of ideas. <laughs> oh, this,
1: this 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 conversation is, is, is fantastic. It's great. It's nice to strip away strip away some of the veneer that comes along with presenting, you know, the message and actually just having a conversation. It's quite cathartic, to be fair, because I'm not as much as I am happy to do um, you know, the public stuff and, and promote the mm. campaign in a way, and, and I wouldn't say this openly very often, but I think it's a bit of a mechanism for me to try and manage my own situation because I can hide behind the purpose. I can hide behind, you know, I'm presenting to on behalf of other people. I'm not doing it for myself in in a weird way.
0: No, but from my point of view, I want you to be here for yourself. This is very much about you and for you. And, you know, and hopefully people that are listening at the moment will be moved to do something for you about the situation that you find yourself in that so many people unfortunately find themselves in because Mm. it's cancer happens to you know it's like one in two of us now i remember when it was one in three and then i thought well when did that happen when did it get to one in two you know and then you still don't think it's going to happen to you and we're we're like a family of five and you think oh crikey i you know try and do the maths no i don't want Uh. to look at the maths there But it does, it's rife and it needs to change. And there is, you know, a relatively, I want to say a relative, I mean, I haven't donated my stem cells, but I have spoken to people who have, and it appears to be a relatively simple process, you know. And I hear all sorts of things that the charities give you cake and the nurses are, you know, doting on you, and you can read a (laughs) magazine and you can just put your feet up and it's all really fab. So, you know. And so you've talked about your heritage, we've talked about how to get this conversation out in the world so that it becomes a, you know, an everyday occurrence. Can I ask you, when it comes to, like we're talking about at home and your your family, how are your family doing? How are your your boys doing with, with all of this? Um, and you don't have to answer if you don't want to.
1: No, very, very happy. It's part of it. You can't, there's no point shying away from it. You can't. So I've got two boys. Yeah. Max has mm. just turned 13 and Seb is 10. It's hard because they've had to live through my situation, which mm. has completely turned their childhood. You know, It's certainly not what I would ever have expected them to have to live through, nor would I want them to. Yeah. And they've both gone through different stages of it. So in in the early days... We tried to manage the conversation, soon realized that was futile because they pick up on atmosphere and tone and the things you say, and they're absorbing all the time. Mm. Seb is now going through what Max went through in the early stages, because I think Max was six or seven when I was diagnosed. Seb is now 10. Mm. And I'd say Max has found a level with it which i know he still struggles don't get me wrong but i know he's found a level with it um Mm. and and we're lucky in that he will talk to 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 me about these sorts of things seb has put two and two together just recently actually i'd say in the last six months and uh, he said there's a couple of things that he's he's done and said to me recently which you know it it sort of hits home so we i was taking him to football training a couple of months ago and he just burst into tears just burst into tears yeah pull the car over and he said you know start talking about it he says you know the seven year thing, because it's part of the story. It's been, I've been open as I can be with my situation. I won't lie to them. If they ask me a direct question, I've got to give them an answer and manage, manage yeah. it. But, exactly. you know, you know exactly. oh, we've got to be honest with them. And he said, dad, yeah. you, you were diagnosed six years ago and, you know, mm. next year will be seven years. Are you going to die next year? It's like, bloody hell, why have we tried, you know, all of a sudden the maths lessons are working. It's like, God, do they have to work now? Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: And, and, you know, I've
1: explained to him six years ago, the world of medicine didn't look the way it looks today. And that's why I'm optimistic that, you know, I will be here in another year, another five years, another 10 years. You know, I'm not sticking my head in the sand, but such is the progress of change. There are other drugs to try. And that's what I underpin these sorts of things on. But he is processing all the time, all mm. the time, the situation. And I, you know, I'm very lucky. I'm very close with both, both boys. But Seb in particular is going mm. through a bit of a time at the moment, he's struggling with it. Um, mm. The flip side is, he said to me, Ten days ago, eight nine days ago, he said. He says, "I don't mean to be mean, Dad." He's exactly. I don't mean to be mean, Dad, which is not what he meant. But he said, "If you hadn't had cancer, we wouldn't have done all this cool stuff, would we?" Like, <laughs> no, no, we wouldn't. <laughs> you know, we were lucky last year. We, um, you know, we won a holiday. Someone no- nominated me in the campaign to sat- Ant and Dec send that takeaway, and we won a holiday. Yeah. So the boys are on telly with Ant. You know, the Ant Dec things. Like, no, nope, that wouldn't have happened. We wouldn't have driven the car around Europe. That wouldn't have happened. And he says, I wish, I wish, dad. He said, every time I have a birthday, I always wish that you don't have cancer, but we've done some cool stuff. Okay, I get it. And again, it's just, I wish, I wish they didn't have to think this way, but they process and manage it in their own way. And all I can be is honest and try to, try to be there to answer their questions as and when they come through. Yeah. Yeah. It's not easy. It's not easy
0: no I don't think it's easy, and I think it's I think sometimes again I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but maybe if you're when you're in the, the mode of you know you're you're the patient and the way it affects people around you you don't always realize and I, and I think particularly with children, children are seen to be oh they're resilient, they can get on with it they hope, they won't take it on board, they won't realize what's happening, but they really do, mm. and I think it's so important to to remember to sort of just hold them tight, which I know you're doing. Yeah. Uh, through all of this well is there anything else that you want to add apart from big shout out to everybody every single person who's listening to say get on the stem cell register
1: just to reiterate everyone has influence in so many spheres of life a lot a lot of what we do we take for granted you know we wake up we make a cup of tea we have our breakfast don't even think about it and these decisions that we're taking all the time but there's there's some key decisions some real decisions that you can actively take that will make a difference it will save someone's life and whether you register or not, obviously I want everyone to register there, you know, whether you register or not, you still have a network of people you can influence. And all it takes is just one person, one person to be a match for someone. And if they're not on the register, they'll never be that match. Um, and I'll fill in the gaps. I'll happily do presentations, do talks. I'll educate people as far as they can to make that decision. But ultimately, um, if someone's willing to open up their network to this conversation, there's so much power there. You could almost argue there's more impact and influence with that one conversation you have with a friend or family member than even registering. Because if that person influences another person, you get organic growth of people, then the message is spread. So please register if you can find it within yourself to do so, but also recognize the other area of power that you have. It's influence, it's network, it's communication. It comes back to communication and, you know, I'm one voice, but this podcast can reach hundreds, thousands of people. Just takes, just takes one. <laughs> That's all.
0: That brings this episode to a close. I'm very grateful to my guest, Pete McLeave, for giving up his time and sharing his story with us. I was particularly struck by his honesty around his own diagnosis and his drive to effect change for others. As Pete says, it just takes one, one person. Could that be you? I hope you found today's conversation both interesting and inspiring and as a sparkly new podcast we are looking for guests to share their inspirational stories and if you have one we'd love to hear from you. You can follow us on Twitter at Magical Match Pod and do get in touch if you'd like to join me to share your stem cell story. If you've enjoyed listening to today's episode do like and subscribe to the podcast and if you have time write us a review. We'll be back with a new episode very soon. In the meantime, please do consider signing up to the Stem Cell Register because you could be someone's Magical Match. Thank you for listening.
1: Magical Match Podcast is an OB Hive production. Originally inspired by a conversation with Andy Mitchell and other like-minded individuals, Magical Match Podcast is hosted and produced by Ginny Walker with audio production by James Walker and music by Cobalt Ocean.